0: From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Wednesday, November 25th. Hi, Owen. Hi. What grade are you in? First grade. And how are you going to first grade? Zoom school. Zoom school? A few months ago, we asked listeners and their kids to send us recordings documenting their experiences with online learning in a school year unlike any other. Hi, my name is Ingrid, and I'm interviewing my youngest sibling. Sophia. Sophia, how old are you? Nine. Hi, I'm Lily. I'm in third grade in Minneapolis. Hannah, eight, about to be nine. Yeah, And where do we live? Lexington, Kentucky. School, for me, is going really well, but I think I like real school, like, more. Well, it's a lot better than in spring, but it's just, I miss real school. You can't take a single break unless it's snack time. Is there anything that you want to tell the world about school? It sucks, but stay in it. (laughs) It's hard to figure out what to do, where to go. It's just hard. It is almost halfway through the school year. Thanksgiving break is a natural reset for teachers and students, but there's still a lot of uncertainty and anxiety over what the rest of the year will look like and whether some kids will even return in person this year.
1: So in our call out, we heard back from a lot of kids and what we heard sort of a few themes over and over again.
0: That's education reporter Laura Meckler. She's been exploring the emotional toll that distance learning has had on children and what families can do to make an impossible situation a little bit better. Why did you want to do this
1: story? Truthfully, this is really personal for me. I have a seven year old and an 11 year old, but particularly when thinking about this story, I think about my seven year old. What's going on? Are we we supposed to be in class right now? Yeah. Xander, what is happening with you today? What is going on today? You know, frankly, it's been really hard. It's just been really hard for him. Um, Not so much academically, but emotionally.
2: (laughs) Why are you feeling so sad right now? I told you because I only got ten minutes for break. Well, Sander,
1: once you do some work, so I think you'll get. Oh, I like, like your this. drawing. Did you draw? Did you
0: paint like 10 this? Ten plus 1, one equals.
1: This is beautiful. Uh, and all I have to do is paint. Two plus writing. two. You just have to label the parts.
0: plus three.
1: You have to do a whole page of writing. And so, talking with some other people on the education team, we just felt like that was a story that we really wanted to tell, which is just what kind of toll this is taking on young children in particular. So, what did people say? What did you hear from folks? Well, it's interesting. Um, We heard a lot. We got a lot of responses from people. And, And I think it's important to say up front that, you know, there are a lot of kids who are really, truly suffering during this time. I mean, they are, you know, people who have disabilities and are not getting their proper services. You've got kids who have trouble connecting. You've got kids who are hungry, who are used to getting lunch at school and breakfast at school. That's not really what this story is about. This story is more about the everyday problems that kids are having. And what are the ways that you're seeing kids suffering? One thing we heard a lot is just missing friends. Kids are just missing their friends.
2: I miss most about regular school,
3: seeing my friends. Friends. What, what is it that you miss about real school?
0: Oh, getting to see my friends.
3: Friends.
2: Seeing my friends. I'm not really physically with them, but if I was actually physically with them, I would be like, this is painful. I got to hug them, but I can't.
1: I mean, my own son, Xander, who's seven, he he said to me, they are no friends. Yeah, you're and, all by yourself. And
0: also you can't make friends because, like you can't make friends because you're not seeing them in person. But like in normal school, you get to go on the playground and you get to play with people, which eventually leads to, to having to having new friends.
1: And he like he sort of feels that missing that sense of um, of connection. Mm. We heard, you know, technology frustrations, which of course is no surprise. You know, kids who get frustrated when they aren't where they're supposed to be and they don't know why.
0: It was kind of glitchy, and
4: mm-hmm.
1: and
0: sometimes we got kicked out. It just made me really frustrated. I don't like having to like wait in the waiting room on Zoom because I always get stressed that the teachers aren't going to let me in and they're just going to forget about me and leave me in the waiting room.
1: We heard from a lot of kids feeling sad that they weren't with their teacher, and that they hadn't even maybe even met their teacher in person.
0: My teacher is really nice. I met her when she was giving me writing packet in person. I was like, mm. I was so excited.
4: But when
2: was that?
1: We just met like your It
2: was last <laughs> week.
1: One thing that's really interesting is that when we think about the spring, where online schooling was just frankly a disaster just all over the country, it just did not go well on so many different levels. But at least the kids already had relationships with each other and with their teachers going in. So when kids got out, you know, in March for almost everybody, they, you know, they had already been with their teachers for months and they knew each other. The teacher knew what kind of learner they were, knew what kind of kid they were and could bring all that to, to remote school. Well, now we open school in the fall. Everybody's got a new teacher for the most part, and they don't have those relationships already. So that's something. This is Credence Peterson, and he is 11 years old. So, Credence, what do you think about remote learning?
2: I think it's kind of upsetting considering the fact that we're going to be in school for six and a half hours straight in the same spot.
1: You know, we also heard, you know, frankly, just like physical challenges, the kind of complaints that you typically hear from older people. We're hearing from, from young kids.
2: You're staring at the screen, which which is really irritating your eyes. And the fact that you have to, like, bend over a bit to look at your phone, it kind of just makes my neck sore, my legs sore, too. Because, I mean, I'm just constantly just having to sit down, and I can't really get up and stretch. I mean, I could maybe, but, I mean, we're not taking, like, breaks like we did before.
1: You know, we also heard you know, very challenging relationships with siblings.
2: Me and my brother were fighting over an iPad because you have to go on Google
0: Classroom during the Zoom call and you have to have two devices. Um, I had to stay with my annoying
4: brother, Luke. Mm-hmm. Um, very um, annoying
0: to be with the same people. I want to see
1: more new people. <laughs> That's already can be a challenge sometimes for some families. But when kids are stuck at home together all day long, especially if they're not seeing many other friends, you know, whatever annoyances you may feel about your big brother or your little sister may just feel a little (laughs) more acute.
0: I hadn't thought about that, especially because I feel like when you are a kid in a family with multiple siblings, that like school is a place that you go to have an identity that is different from just your identity as like one of your siblings. And it must be hard to like lose that sense of identity of like being your own person in a class with your teacher and your classmates. It's different from what the rest of your family experiences.
1: I mean, that's such a good point. That's so true. School is, and it's not just from your siblings, from your parents too. When you're at school, it's like, that's your thing. That's your place. Your parents, you know, are hopefully paying attention to what's happening, but they don't really know. You know, you're there in your place with your own identity and your own life. Now you're just kind of part of your family day in and day out. And if there are things that annoy you about your brother, well, they're annoying you, you know, all day long. And one of the responses
0: that you received was actually from one of your friends, right? Can, can you talk through what
1: that conversation was like? Yeah, it was really interesting. I didn't even know that she was planning to respond to this. Hi, this is Kathy Pages, and I'm with my son Ethan Pages. Ethan, tell me a little bit about yourself.
0: Um... I go to Flanagan Marshall Elementary School in
1: Gates. We've been friends for, you know, more than twenty years, and both have kids who are around the same age. Seeing that she replied, it didn't really surprise me because she's somebody who is going through this also, trying to manage it. Different issues with each of her sons, trying to manage their big feelings, as one of them puts it, around these, uh, around having school from home every day
4: he started having huge tantrums and just meltdowns where he was just sobbing. And he would say to me, I have all these big feelings and I don't know what to do with them. So one of the things that you've told me a lot since you've been home is that you're having a lot of big feelings. Mm-hmm. And you want to tell me more about that? Um,
0: well, I'm, I'm feeling very sad and angry
4: you know, there, I I want this to go back to the way it was. And he would just be crying and he would, he sort of talks about his feelings in terms of being people. So he'll say happy got locked out of the house and, and angry and sad are in the house now. And I want happy back in the house as a mother, it's been really exhausting. And as a father, my husband also is extremely (laughs) exhausted by it because we're both working full time and juggling school schedules, homework, mercifully, we're not doing sports because of the pandemic. So that's actually helped.
1: You know, it's a juggle between parents, you know, each trying to figure out what am I doing? What are you doing? Who's on duty? Who's getting time to work?
4: It's been, you know, really hard. And to be frank, we we went about three or four months and then um, we talked to his pediatrician and he said, I, I think he's he's genuinely depressed and I think he needs therapy. And so he's been in therapy on zoom for the past since early June.
1: Wow. That is just so heartbreaking. Very similar stuff with Xander, you know, Mm -hmm. he'll be having a meltdown, just start crying for him. It's just like, I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. You know, it's not a good feeling, you know, when he's like obviously emotionally breaking down because of the situation. And I'm, you know, making threats. It's hard when your kids are feeling pain and you can't fix it. I mean, I think that's one of the problems um, is that we just, there's only so much reassurance that we can give. And just also kind of feeling isolated ourselves as we're, you know, in our own four walls trying to, you know, trying to make it work and make sure our kids don't fall behind and that they're feeling happy and that, but they um, also get their work done. And, you know, none of it's easy.
0: So what did you hear from people about the kind of magnitude of the emotional toll for kids
1: here, but also some of the things that they can do to get through it? We wanted to get a sense of, you know, what is it that we can do? Or maybe there's someone who has some advice.
3: So I'm Tabitha Rossbroy, and I'm the 2020 National Teacher of the Year. She's a pre-K teacher in rural Kansas, and we talked to her about what
1: parents can do to try to help their kids. You know, she said that this what we're all feeling, what we heard from our listeners is very real and very common.
3: You know, I have definitely seen a struggle with behaviors in young children at home. They're missing that, that school structure, right? They're being expected to do some of the work that they would normally do in school, but that, that element of their routine has been taken away. And it's not because home isn't a totally viable place to learn. It's just because their regular thing, this pattern that they've built, this routine they're used to has been disrupted.
1: One of her observations was that, you know, kids really need structure, that they essentially don't feel safe without it. And even if they don't realize it, that's what they need. They need a sense of structure. So she suggested doing things
3: like posting a schedule, you know, laying out clear expectations for the day, having routines. You know, personally, I don't operate unless I have a schedule and I know exactly what's coming and I write things down. And kids, like I said, when they know what to expect, they feel safe and then they learn better. Talk to them about what that schedule is going to look like. Lay out your expectations each day, even if it feels like broken record. Talk about that so that they know what to expect and just build in those breaks that you know they need.
1: I thought that was, you know, pretty interesting and and pretty good advice. You know, like one of the things we did that I realize now is is... The kind of thing she's suggesting is that we let our kids have screen time for what they want to watch at five o'clock every night until dinner, at which uh, they refer to as five time. <laughs> and it is a, a a very sacred, a sacred hour in our house when they get to watch, uh, watch their own like baseball videos or whatever. But it's helped with some structure because... They don't get to do that earlier in the day. We are trying to obviously limit screen time, but you can't really say none when they're just stuck at home and they have to be on online school. So I think that trying to do things like that is probably a good idea. So what is your sense of how big a problem this is? I think it's pretty widespread. You know, to try to get a better sense of it, we talked to Matthew Beal from Georgetown, and he's a psychiatrist there who works with children. And what he said is that he's seeing it all over the place with his patients, kids who are having trouble, emotional trouble with this moment in time that we have.
5: Strictly speaking around emotional needs, I think there's no question that that kids are suffering from the lack of social contact, of direct in-person, real, live, interpersonal interactions with their peers. And that's impacting everyone. And it's impacting um certain kids more. You said that that's true both for
1: kids who have particular challenges, anxiety or mood disorders, but that it's also true for everyday kids too.
5: I think the the challenges are manifold. I think they're they're exacerbated by the stress and uncertainty that families are feeling and kids, you know, really osmotically absorb what their parents are putting out.
1: So much of school he says, is really, it's not just academics, it's social development, it's emotional development, it's connecting with a caring adult, somebody who will be able to read your moods and help you get through the day. Hmm. And so a lot of his patients, he said, are struggling with isolation, with boredom, just feeling understimulated or just feeling drained from having hours of online classes.
5: Think about the skills that we have to use as mature adults or hopefully, you know, more or less mature adults to regulate our emotions, to get through the boredom, frustration, tedium, physical fatigue, eye fatigue, the challenges of, of, of sort of hanging in there on technology, mediated interaction. With, and, and, and then we look at a seven-year-old you a seven-year-old, a, a typically developing seven-year-old has, you know, at, un, under optimal circumstances, 15 or 20 minutes of attention toward one task before they absolutely need neurological break.
1: There's all sorts of things that don't accommodate children's emotional needs about online school. You know, you you have to stay still. It's just like not very natural for young kids.
5: Your seven-year-old wants to be recognized when they raise their hand. Oftentimes it doesn't happen on Zoom. They want to be able to to make a comment or make a joke with a peer. Can't do that. No chatting allowed. Wants to be able to to get up and, and walk around the classroom and move. Can't do that. We need to see your face on screen. It's an imprisonment of some kind for, for, for a lot of kids.
1: He also talked about one difference between how adults are handling all this and kids are handling all this is a sense of time.
5: I mean, think about our sense of this feeling endless. I mean, how many, you can't get through a conversation with a friend or a family member without saying, when is this going to end, right? Can't wait to things get back to normal. If you're seven, your sense of time, for your seven-year-old, this is now about a tenth of their life that this has been how the world is.
1: Hmm the combination of it feeling like it's been going forever because for them it kind of has and not really having any idea when it will be over and us as parents not being able to tell them when it will be over is really hard. So Dr. Beal makes these
0: great points about what he's seeing in his work and how this is playing out with kids and their emotions. But for caretakers and parents, what can they do to help their kids get through this?
1: He advises to just be really sensitive and really understanding and let kids know that it's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel upset.
5: Do as much as you can to, 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 to normalize feelings of frustration and fatigue and boredom and say, we're all feeling that. I understand that you feel that it's okay to feel that. Try to find the small wins and celebrate that. Making sure that you that you have little times each day that are, that are, you know, just, as much as possible, protected for fun. But half an hour outside each day with your child that is just unfettered by all of the strictures we're living under has has a huge health-inducing impact for for, for parents and kids.
1: (laughs) one point he made, I I took to particular heart. He said, you know, if you have a bad day...
5: And when it's not a good day, leave it behind.
1: Leave it behind. Move on. You know, every day isn't going to be great, but that's okay.
0: Laura Meckler is an education reporter for The Post, as well as Hannah Natanson, who contributed reporting to this story. Alexis Diao produced today's show. As part of this project on children in the pandemic, Laura and Hannah collected artwork from kids expressing their feelings on distance learning. It is illuminating. We'll post a link to that at PostReports.com. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. We are taking a break for Thanksgiving and the day after. We hope you and your families stay safe and enjoy the holiday. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back next week with more stories from The Washington Post.